0: and to celebrate um, this thing. And we thank you that um, you you did create the material world and these things matter. Um, Buildings matter uh, in the sense that um, you've created all things. Space matters. But we pray for this space, that you would use it for your glory, for this neighborhood in the city, um, for, for all those surrounding there, that it would be a blessing, that people would look at that church and that congregation and think that uh, that part of the city would suffer if it ceased to exist. We thank you for the faithfulness of Valley Bible Church and how faithfully they've been there all these years since the 50s. We thank you for their generosity, and uh, we pray for them, Lord, um, as they enter this other stage of their ministry, that you would bless Pastor Dave and those people. Be with us now as we open up your word together. May you meet with us. May your spirit be with us and strengthen us. We ask in Jesus' good name. Amen. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. If you don't have one, it's found in your worship bulletin. Uh, it'll be on the screen as well. Let's read together. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and I will send it back here immediately. And they went ahead, and they found a colt tied at the door inside out on the street, and they untied it. And some of them standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw on their cloaks, and he sat on it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For much of the gospel of Mark, um, the gospel writer through the works and the teachings of Jesus has been showing us what true greatness actually is and opposed to the ways that we often define it. We've seen uh, the disciples here teaching on on what is great and what it means to serve and and so forth, and then only to turn around and ask Jesus, like, hey, when you come into your kingdom, I want me to be on the right hand of your glory and I want my brother to be on the left. We've had Jesus talk about how he's gonna suffer and die and be handed over into the hands of men and have to suffer on our behalf, and then have the disciples say, like, argue among themselves about who was the greatest among them. And he keeps showing us, what true greatness is like. And how we define greatness is actually a a very important issue because our hearts can't help but attach value and set the trajectory of our life upon that which we have determined is great. No matter what your heart attaches to, loves, pursues, and says, this is great. You will organize your life around that thing. And so greatness is actually, in our view of greatness, is a serious matter. And it's a terrible thing to build your life around something, to set the course of your life, the trajectory of your life, to try to achieve greatness, and in the end to find out that that wasn't greatness at all. Now, I'm probably not the, the greatest Taylor uh, Swift fan in the world. Um, I actually can't even name a single song off the top of my head. But I did watch her documentary recently on Netflix. I don't know if you've watched it. And I came away with a lot of uh, different thoughts. And one of them was this, just how unbelievably talented that young lady is and has been for all these years. I, I respect so much any artist that writes their own music and writes their own lyrics. And she is an unbelievable artist. Another takeaway uh, from watching this documentary was just how down to earth and kind of normal she was, like behind the scenes and the conversations that she was, very vulnerable. And to realize, even though she's about to go out in front of crowds of thousands of people chanting her name and, and singing her praises and so forth, she's just like you and me, has the same kind of uh, insecurities and just a very normal person. But the other thing that I took away and had very, a huge amount of compassion for her in this is this that she has achieved everything that our culture would say is great. She's achieving everything that our culture lifts up as great. Fame, wealth, achievement, hit records, and yet you get very much the sense and her vulnerability in this documentary that it's not enough. And there's an emptiness and a striving and a desire. Like, there's got to be more. One more, one more number one album, one more hit song. There's this drivenness, and it's just, it's not enough. This morning, we're going to look at two things from our text. First of all, is the example of true greatness in Jesus. And then second, how do we experience that? How do we begin to experience what true greatness is? First of all, this example of true greatness in Jesus Christ. This story is known, as I just mentioned, the triumphal entry. And it's usually the passage we would turn to uh, during Palm Sunday. And the roads leading to Jerusalem on this day would have been crowded with people as they're they're literally in a parade heading in, not an official parade, but a pilgrimage, if you will, uh, to Jerusalem to go into town for the Passover, right? And so people from all the various cities and surrounding areas, many of which would be heading to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover together. And when they saw Jesus riding into town, they began to cry out to him as he's on this colt, this small horse, Hosanna in the highest, which literally means save us, we pray. Save, we pray. They laid down their coats and leafy branches, maybe palm branches, for his feet and for the, for the colt to walk on. Now, this scene was not extraordinary, meaning this is the kind of thing that in the ancient Near East, uh, cities and towns would do, especially in the capital city when the king would return after battle having won victory. And the king would come into town on a war horse, on a stallion in power and glory at the front of the parade as he would come back. And behind him would be his warriors, his victorious army. And behind that army would be those who had been conquered, like the the, the people that they had conquered in chains and so forth, enslaved. And they would come into town and people would cry out, Hosanna, victory. Victory's been won on our behalf. But Jesus comes in not on a war horse, Not on a stallion, but instead on a colt, on a donkey, an animal fit for a child, not for a king. And he's fulfilling a prophecy that had come many years earlier in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Your king is coming to you, righteous, having salvation, is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." And one of the things that we see about Jesus Christ is that he is truly great in the way that we think of greatness in terms of power and might. He is great. He's the one that's created the universe. Paul says that all things were created by him, for him, and through him. That everything in the universe, which is big, exists because of Jesus Christ in and through him. That all things hold together by him. That he sustains all things, that we live and move and have our being in and through Jesus Christ, and yet he comes in humility. The, John of Patmos wrote in the book of Revelation that, the lion will lay, that Jesus is both like a lion and a lamb at the very same time. And Jonathan Edwards wrote a beautiful sermon, um, a well-known one called The Excellencies of Christ, and in there he says that in Jesus we see infinite highness and at the same time, infinite condescension. In the person of Christ, meet together infinite glory and lowest humility at the same time. And so as fully God, the creator of the universe, he has this greatness, this might, and this power, which we'll see at the end of the age when he comes back in his fullness. But as a man, he shows us what human perfection is. There will never be a greater human being. Because in Jesus Christ he perfectly is fulfilling God's objectives of what greatness is and what is greatness according to God's standard. It is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. You know this if you've been around here or church. And what else? To love your neighbors yourself and right where you and I struggle the most can we admit that every week when we come in here to confess our sins and hear an assurance of pardon the thing i have to go back to every week is lord i have not loved you with all of my heart soul mind and strength and i have definitely not loved my neighbors myself instead i generally orient my life around myself my needs or my families but how does jesus act This one who is truly great. What choices does he make? Who does he spend time with? How does he organize his schedule? Who does he spend time focusing on? What is his approach to power, to wealth, to success? Jesus Christ had the power to heal. He's God. He has infinite power. And he was ushering in the kingdom of God. He is, and he will fully and finally. But when he was here on earth, we see examples of what that kingdom is like. Because as king, wherever he goes, the, the, the life around him gets ordered around his kingdom. And so the deaf can now hear when Jesus is around. And the blind can see. And, and the mute can speak. And people who can't walk, the lame, they can walk. Why? Because the king of kings is at hand. He's infinitely powerful and yet he spends time with the lowly and the poor the powerful he warns and the poor he accepts and he loves and he welcomes in now he himself is poor he's a blue collar and what i find interesting is he he doesn't zap an atm into existence he could have He could have said, because he called the wealthy to himself, and some came. He said it's difficult, but some do, like Zacchaeus, this tax collector does, and he doesn't say like, hey Zacchaeus, we need to roll a little harder here, like you need to bring a bunch of cash with you. He doesn't say as they're camping, and they're constantly camping, and going on these journeys and and so forth, and, and outside, and not able to sleep in a home, and rather than bring into existence, and he could have, like Harry Potter does when they're camping, right, not just a tent, but a tent with when you go in, it looks like a very humble tent on the outside, but you go in, and there's a fireplace and multiple rooms, and it's beautiful inside. Jesus could have done that, but he doesn't. He doesn't use his power for his own uh, preferences or glory or comfort. Instead, he focuses on people's pain, their hunger, their sickness, their misunderstanding. In Jesus' triumphal entry, where is it headed? Not to be a crown of, of gold, but a crown of thorns. And his throne, his throne room is a cross. And in Jonathan Edwards' sermon, he gave an illustration that wouldn't work in our day and age because he compares us to worms, and we would be offended by that. And he says this, If one worm becomes a little greater than another because he has a bigger dunghill or more dirt, how much he makes of himself. He sees an enormous distance between himself and those worms below him. He expects others to serve him and to show him the respect he deserves as a greater worm. And while Christ condescends to wash our feet, great men or bigger worms would consider themselves above such acts of service. I've got good news for you. We're not worms. God has created us uh, in all of creation. He created worms as well, but he created all things, and he created us at the pinnacle of his creation and placed us in his image. We're created in his image. We reflect his glory. We're his sons and daughters, so we're not worms, but compared to his infinite power and greatness, man, we're smaller than worms. If you've studied the universe, it is really big, and here we are, extremely small, and how much we make of ourselves in comparison to one another. Jesus told his disciples, A servant is not greater than his master. And in John 13, he says this, If then your Lord and teacher, myself, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should follow, as I have done to you. Jesus is the example of true greatness. Do you want to know what it looks like to be truly great? It's right here. It's Jesus Christ. But how do we experience that? How do we experience it more than just simply go, ah, I'm so selfish. Why? I would like to be pursuing true greatness, but I keep getting hung up on my idols of my heart, the things that I think are great and are not. And I keep going back to them. Well, the beginning of it, you're not going to like because it's kind of theoretical, but it's this, to focus your heart more and more on the good news of Jesus. But I want to paint a picture with you. You go on a a, a journey with me just for a second, and then we'll get more practical. I want you to follow Jesus in your mind on this journey into Jerusalem. He's on on a a colt, on a donkey. And if you need to, close your mind and envision it. Or close your eyes and open your mind. <laughs> and can you see him there on a donkey? And there's there's cloaks over it. And um, he's his feet are probably hitting the ground almost because it's so small. And as they're striving into town, people are crying out, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Glory to you, Jesus! We love you! You're the king! And then, fast forward just days later as the same crowd is now (coughs) in a large place around a large building and that same crowd is crying out what? Crucify him. That same crowd. And then follow just moments and days later when Jesus is now carrying his own cross up a hill. He's being spat upon, flogged, mocked, derided, punched, hit in the face, stripped naked, and crucified. And as he's being crucified, the same people that cried Hosanna on one day and crucified him the next, he says to his father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus is living out what he taught. Forgive your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. And then to remember that you are among that crowd. Are you not? Don't you think that crowd represents all of humanity? Don't we, don't we bless him in one instance and then curse him in the very next? But we experience true greatness, and we become in pursuit more of true greatness as we meditate our hearts more and more on Jesus Christ, who then cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? And realizing he did that, he was forsaken so that you'll never be forsaken. He was rejected by the Father so that you'll never be rejected. He he received the curse that you and I deserve so that you'll never be cursed. This is what Jesus has done. So, to make it a little bit more concrete, I want to talk about just a few other things as we close. Daily acknowledge your dependence on God. If you want to experience true greatness more and more, we have to begin to daily express and acknowledge our dependence upon our God. Pride says, I'm fully capable. I have all the resources I need to make my life good. I have the intelligence, the power, the abilities, the tools, the education, the will. I'm driven. I can do this. But one of the things I'm learning in life is how our weaknesses and our brokenness and even our sin can show us to be dependent upon the living God instead of our own resources. Where are you most weak? What is the thing that if you could just change about yourself, you would change instantly, maybe you know, instantly. Maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's an inner heart issue, maybe it's even some mental illness of some What is it about you that would change? And we we're so frustrated, we can get so angry even at the, the things in our life that are heartbreaking and difficult. And I'm not saying that God isn't compassionate towards those, but don't they remind us of how dependent we are upon the Lord? Because in our worst moments, we think we are in charge. We think we have all the power and the resources and get anything done, but I want you to imagine, can you imagine what would happen in our lives if the electricity in our city just went out for a year <laughs> or forever in the United States? What if the entire electrical grid went down? What if as you're driving on the highway, do you ever like, look around and see like there's a, there's a truck filled with milk? Going into the to, into the city, and you're like, "No, I'm lactose intolerant." Okay, well, but then, uh, but then another one is filled with gasoline that's gonna like drive the car that you drive, and another one is filled with produce and and vegetables and and meat and stuff. Like, where where would we be if all the highway systems shut down and we couldn't get the food that we need? Think about how dependent upon you are for your mobile phone, the apps that we use, everything. My whole life kind of revolves around this little rectangle that I call the if. If all of a sudden those quit working and the world is dependent upon me to figure this stuff out, (laughs) have you ever tried to think about like, well, how does a mobile phone work? Now, some of you actually know, but most of us are like, I don't know, like magic stuff is just sent out in the air and information is just flowing through the air. How does this this work? I'm a liberal arts major. I have no idea, you know, I, I can just read and talk. I don't know. If it were up to me, we would be back to the agrarian society, but I'm not a farmer. I can't even farm. I don't know how to do that stuff. And that leads us to agree with Jesus in John 15. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, and apart from me you can do nothing. One of my heroes of the faith was a man named John Stott, a single man who pastored in the UK, United Kingdom, Uh, in the Church of England, was faithful, a godly man, a great author, a great theologian, a great pastor. And every morning, he got up and read the same prayer, or probably had memorized it. And I actually happened to, uh, one of a family friend of mine's cousin was his intern, and got to hear Like, this is legit. He did this every day, and he walked with such integrity. This friend of mine's cousin lived with him for over a year, and was sort of his assistant, and said, that man lived out his faith. And he got up every day and he prayed this prayer, and I'm only going to read half of it, but he began, began the prayer by saying, good morning, Heavenly Father, good morning, Lord Jesus, good morning, Holy Spirit. How personal is that? He's praying to the triune God that created the universe, but he's saying good morning. And in my mind, that says to me, it's personal, but it's also dependent. I'm recognizing who I need to be rightly related to as I get up and start my day. And then he gets into the meat of the prayer and he says, Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Oh, how dependent I am upon you, Lord, that I may, Lord, I want to live for you and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray this day that I may take up my cross and I may follow you, that I, that I may die to my selfish ambition. Amen. Holy Spirit, I pray this day that you fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. And then he, he prays through the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, give me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons in one God, have mercy upon me. Amen. I love that prayer so much. I've attached it in the front of one of my Bibles, the Bible that I use on a daily basis to remind me I'm dependent upon the Lord. John Stott lived in such a way that he was dependent, recognizing daily, moment by moment, his dependence upon the Lord. And when you do that, you are in pursuit of true greatness. Next, I think in order to pursue true greatness, you have to express thanks for simple things in life. True greatness is found in the everyday, the normal things. And to stop, and and my wife is so good at this, but to be thankful for common, ordinary things expresses a desire for true greatness, a thankfulness, a a contentment for for things like family and friendship, the celebration of a meal with, with beloved friends, with good drink and good food, to be thankful for health, your family, for shelter, for peace. For daily bread, for employment, will make you pursue true greatness instead of striving. If I were only famous, if I were only rich, if I only had a greater house or greater car, greater some other relationship, instead of pursuing greatness right where you are in the midst of what God has blessed you with. Third, to make the decision to love others, and it is a decision. True greatness is not found in what our culture is telling us. And I believe the lie and you believe the lie. But friends, every single celebrity we study, every wealthy person we know will tell us either with their words of affirmation, that's correct, it's empty, or in their lifestyle. You can see it. It's never enough. It's never, ever, ever enough. But true greatness instead, according to the one that literally made us all, says it's found in loving God and loving other people. And so if you really want to experience true greatness, you have to make the decision to love other people. Will you feel that love? Yes, of course, sometimes, but oftentimes it begins with the decision to love. And in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis points out that love in the Christian sense is not simply an emotion or state of feeling, but the will. It's the will to act in love and I've mentioned this several times in this series, and this may be the third or fourth time I've I've quoted it, but I'm gonna do it again. He says this, don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Oh, do I really love them? Do I really have the right motives? He says, no, act like you love them. Well, that's so insincere. As soon as we do this, we find one of life's great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. If you injure someone you dislike, you'll find yourself disliking him more. But if you do him a good turn, you'll find yourself disliking him less. Consequently, though, Christian charity sounds very cold to people whose heads are full of sentimentality. And though it is quite distant from affection, yet it leads to affection. He's talking about emotion, right? Acting on love leads to the emotion of love. The worldly man treats certain people kindly because he likes them. The Christian, oh, I wish this were true. (laughs) This is what we're called to. The Christian trying to treat everyone kindly finds himself liking more and more people as he does go on including people he could not even imagine himself liking at the beginning. If you want to be great, do you want to experience greatness, love people. Well, I don't feel like it. <laughs> Lewis would say, who cares? Act as if you do. Act on this. Put your will into motion. Deciding to humbly love others is a process that requires an ongoing daily decision because our flesh, our selfishness, our pride, our ego, they never take a vacation, do They? Hey, I'm on vacation from pride this week. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? I'm just going to take a month off from being a selfish pig. That would be fantastic. But it doesn't work like that. If you want to experience true greatness, you've got to learn to preach to yourself the gospel. You've got to learn to talk to yourself and say, wait a minute, this is not true greatness. True greatness is found in humility and the sin of pride. It never takes a vacation, never rests never sleeps. So today, no later than tomorrow, who are you going to act in love towards? Maybe that person right now is difficult for you to love, but who are you going to put into action? I will begin right here. I will love this person. And finally, I want us to celebrate how freeing true greatness is because that you must celebrate this, and this is the final thing, but if true greatness is all about me as our culture and our hearts define it, then by necessity, as I'm lifting myself up above everybody else, because can we just get real? That's what that is. Selfishness says I must be better than you. I must get ahead of you. So as I'm trying to lift myself up, what I'm doing is elevating myself over you, and then you have to lose in order for me to win. Well, that's enslaving, is it not? Definitely to other people, but even to yourself ultimately. But when you make your aim in life to lift others up that you can't be great unless those around you are being elevated and lift up and being loved and served and encouraged, think about how freeing that is. To make your life a gift for others. If true greatness is about love for others, then by by necessity, I must lift them up. And think about in return what that does. If I am working hard to lift you up, in turn, you're going to begin to care for me and lift me up in the same way. And if we're in a community that's doing that together as a family, as a church and friends, I feel like that's what's happening here. And I just want to stoke it even more. We lift one another up and that begins to affect our families and our homes, Where we're not living for wrong priorities, but for one another in our homes. And then what that's doing is your kids go to school, students, as you go to school and saying, it's not just about me, my fame, my reputation, me getting popular, it's about me lifting others up at this school that I'm in. And then that begins to have an impact, and we're all serving our communities in such a way that we're lifting people up. What would that do for our city? For the reputation of Christ, that Christians actually care about others. According to Jesus, true greatness is found in very, very ordinary circumstances. And there's so many books right now that are coming out from the Christian perspective that it's like, to be just a a faithful Christian, it has to be radical, it has to be crazy. But I'm telling you, true greatness is found usually in the mundane. I'll take a bullet for you, that's, I don't want to, but I would, you know, but like, but, you know, washing the dishes can be difficult, right? I would die for my family in a heartbeat but tell me to take out the trash. Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's found in washing feet. No one really does that in our culture. I've only done it once. True greatness is found in making a meal for someone you love. It's opening your home with hospitality. It's choosing to love when you don't feel like it. It's it's sacrificing. It's listening to your friend. It's weeping with a friend. It's, it's found in the church nursery and serving. It's... It's in forgiving that person that's wounded you. It's, it's in seeking their healing and praying for those who've persecuted you. This is true greatness. Jesus is truly great. And some of you don't know him yet. And you're trying to make a decision. Maybe that's why you're here. Like I don't know if I'm going to follow Jesus. Friends, there's no one greater than Jesus Christ. He has infinite power and glory. And there's coming a day where he will come back, not on a colt or a pony, but on a stallion with a sword to judge the living and the dead in power. But look at his, his humility and his beauty that he who was God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he came and served us in such a way that we would be forgiven and loved and accepted. Do not miss Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the greatest. He is greatness. Receive him. Walk with him. Love him. Anyone who seeks Jesus, the door will be opened. Anyone who knocks, the door will be opened to you. Receive him. Look to him in faith. Let's pray. Father, we can't even pray about this subject without going immediately to repentance to say our pursuit of greatness is all wrong. But as your children, we have your spirit. We have your power. We have your might. We have your example. And so we ask Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, glorious Father, fill us with who you are and empower us with the fruit of the Spirit that we just read about and prayed about. Fill us with love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and these kind of things. Fill us, Lord, and make us truly great so that we may experience what it is to walk with you in such a way. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.